Well, hello, beautiful farmsteaders, land lovers and dreamers, food chain security watchers, and farmer wannabes. Every winter brings cold weather, and that means stress on your animals. If this is your first winter keeping livestock and you live in a cold climate, this podcast is right up your alley. Today, I talk about old man winter. I share some hacks, tell some deep free stories to make it real, and let you know the things that you can avoid in order to make your life easier. I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, farmer, shepherdess, lead goat, milkmaid, poultry wrangler, and midwife here at Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio. I started with illegal backyard chickens while at my white collar job. After eight years of evading the Homeowners Association and finally getting busted, our family made the leap to farm life. We've been at it for almost 10 years now. And that's what I talk about here at the Fairhill Farmcast, the startup, the transition, the learning curve that goes with this enormous change. I share stories and talk about what it feels like when you don't even know what you don't know. As I say, it's drinking from the fire hose of farm life. My mission is to tell it like it is based on what I've experienced in order to help you sidestep avoidable errors and unnecessary costs or losses as you journey towards your dream of having a farm life. And boy, is it worth it. So right now, it's late December, 2022. And the nation has just had a super brutal cold snap. Here in central Ohio, people have had burst pipes in their homes, and it got down to the negative teens with negative 30 Fahrenheit real feel wind chill. Snow was on the ground. It made for a beautiful Christmas, but boy, was it flipping cold. It drifted on roaring wind that hit us for days. So being as this is now my 10th winter on the farm, we have had most of our facilities situations all deep freeze winterized, but I'd Still like to share plenty of our blunders that have caused issues in the past. Just so you know, so that if you've made a few errors and you feel like you've made a dumb mistake, I don't want you to feel alone. So let's have some fun here. I've made plenty myself. Here are some of my top favorite self-inflicted winter problems that taught me some valuable lessons. Light bulbs, because light's important in the wintertime because it's dark all the time. So light bulbs, LEDs especially, don't work below zero unless you buy super special ones that are specially rated to work in the cold and start in the cold. Who knew? We didn't. Till the first winter, we replaced our dim incandescence with bright LEDs in the barn. We felt so proud of our upgrades until we didn't. Yeah. Oversight. (laughs) They're hard to find, by the way. Worth the effort, but they are hard to find. There's nothing quite like realizing that you've had light failure when three don't light up and then the fourth and the fifth one are just flickering in the background. All right, so how about leaving a hose connected to a hydrant during a deep freeze? It's not helpful. I didn't mean to, of course. I'm not stupid, but I just forgot. And I was able to get it disconnected from the hydrant. But I found that the hydrant was frozen because the column on the inside was full of water. Turns out he didn't understand exactly how a hydrant works on the inside. So yeah, learn your equipment. So there are brass quick connectors and easy screw offs available. Who knew? There are some really cool things out there for exactly these reasons. And I really, really recommend not leaving any hose attached to any hydrant, even if there is the slightest possibility of a freeze. Now I do myself a favor, I stay out of my own way, and I just put the summer hoses away. Winter hoses are installed, they're super short, they have easy connect adapters, and we have a winter rule. When we're done with any hose that we need, that hose is immediately disconnected and hung up in a way where zero water can stay inside. I do this every single day. 
No hydrants are left with hoses attached to them after the water is turned off. No exceptions. Full stop. As for frozen hydrants, if they're cheap hydrants, well, I hate to break it to you, but you're done for. I killed two hydrants our first year. They were both cheap, and this is when I learned about Iowa's. You need to buy a hydrant that's going to outlast you? Woodford Manufacturing's Iowa hydrants are the way to go. No financial incentive here. They're not sponsoring me for this. I wish they would. I talk about my awesome hydrant all the time. But if you need a hydrant on your location, uh, you, you might need one model or another. But egads, folks, don't futz around with anything else. You can repair those babies if you need to, and you don't even have to dig them up. That's how well they're made. Cheap hydrants are done if they're frozen. Thank God for my Woodford. It has survived my stupidity twice and my kid's stupidity or kid kidness more times than that. I have one out in the open pasture and one inside my barn. I never have to worry. And what about when the hydrants freeze? Let me just say that using a blowtorch to heat the hydrant pipe doesn't work well. Nope. And very unfortunately, the part of the hydrant that's frozen solid can be two feet below the earth and still be frozen for two weeks even after all the snow above is gone and grass starts to grow again. Yeah. So learn that one the hard way too. Let's touch on de-icers and heaters. I did mention these before on my chicken podcast, but I'll review briefly. I recommend not to get heaters because they heat the water too much. De-icers are the way to go. Heaters melt through containers and they can make the water unpalatably warm for certain animals. So for water buckets, I use bright blue muck tubs for my four-leggeds. Poultry gets rubber bowls on top of cinder blocks to raise them up off the ground to bird shoulder heights so they don't foul them. I put de-icers in these too. Overhead chicken waters get de-icers dropped down inside them as well. If you listen to my November 2022 podcast about winterizing for chickens, there's even more specific info in there on uh, what's applicable to other animals. But this one is about blunders. So how have I flubbed this? Well, I've put de-icers on circuits that are overloaded and then pop. Solid, frozen. So balance your electrical loads, folks. Uh, you're going to need extension cords for de-icers because the cord itself for the de-icer is only like three feet long. And can I just say that I really, really, really recommend making sure that water can't get into the joints where those two cords meet? So here's what I found works every time. Silicone plugs, they sort of sandwich between their cords. Um, they're like little, they're like little squishy um, circles. They're thin, like a little thicker than a quarter, and they have holes for the plugs to go through them and you kind of squash this little silicone squashy. I'm doing a terrible job explaining this, but they, you squash this little silicone squashy in between uh, the extension cord and the cord from the de-icer. And it kind of gives a little spongy thing there that's water resistant because you don't want any kind of moisture in there. So then I place that joint where I've plugged them together inside a screw together waterproof cord connector sleeve. Um, these come in a lot of different formats, but they snap together, they screw together, or they kind of wrap around. There's a lot of different ones that do this, but you can get them at Lowe's and Home Depot or Tractor Supply or Rural King or whatever you might have near you. So then I put a rubber bowl on the ground upside down. I put the joint that's in that casing on top of that bowl to make sure it's elevated off the ground because I've learned the hard way that water and slush can flow and cause other problems. Then I put a second bigger bowl upside down on top of that joint. Voila, no more shorts, no failures, no other mishaps when floods or other weather problems happen. Absolutely safe every time. So uh, what else have I learned? Oh, shoveling. Shoveling needs to be strategic. We 
like to remove the snow off our porch being suburbia folks. So we removed all the snow off our porch the first year, accidentally exposing an ice layer underneath. Apparently when the snow started, our porch was warm enough to melt that first bit of snow. Then it froze solid and we discovered that snow was way better than ice. So we shoveled the snow back on, especially on the stairs. Don't shovel snow unless you have to, just walk on it. But hey, it's slippery and I need to shovel it. No, you don't. It doesn't have to be. And this brings us to the next super cool thing. You got ice on the ground. You got snow that's packed into slicker and snot white ice. You've got to get yak tracks, my friends. Again, no financial interest, but I'll tell you, these little babies are so cool. With a little bit of practice, you can run on ice like a member of a bobsled team. Apparently, these are the folks, they're literally the folks who came up with these little fun bits of winter awesomeness, but you can't walk on a tile or a concrete floor without landing on your can. No, 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 learn that one too. And once those yak tracks are on your boots, don't take them unless you have to. When is that? when the ice is gone, because holy cow, they grab manure like you cannot believe. All right. Now, quick little message for me. If you like this podcast or have ideas for others, or maybe you're interested in getting more deep dive specific livestock management coaching or having me at a speaking event, it's what I do here. Drop me a line at judith at fairhillfarm.blog. Okay, back to our tips and hacks. So, those are the tips for dealing with ice and water and the such and some power and things like that. Let's talk about the animals, the fun part. Okay. Very generally, animals are just fine in cold weather. They're not like us. They're, they're used to it, they're outdoors, they're fine. They're not okay in wind, and they're not okay in wind and wet. They usually don't like wet, but they're definitely not okay in ice and wind especially. Dry cold still, that's sheep weather. This is when they have their babies and they enjoy life. They bounce around and have a good time. So that's good. Goats don't do so well in cold. They need a bit of babying and a way to get out of the cold. Also, if you can help it, don't breed your goats to have babies during the winter. Otherwise, you'll end up needing heat lamps. Spring or fall is best. Poultry is fine in cold weather. They need wind breaks. They don't need heat. And they need to be able to get up off the ground, up on wooden roost, not metal, freeze their little feet out of the wind. This goes for turkeys, chickens, and other fowl. So let's talk about straw for a second. It is amazing for most livestock. Uh, if you're like me, when I moved from suburbia to farm life, I didn't know, I didn't understand straw. But let me just say it is worth, you, there's a reason it's so amazing and it's been around for so long. So Outside, I put straw out for the llama and sheep inside their run-in shed. It's a three-sided shelter with a sand floor, and they snuggle down in it when the weather's real bad. After you put down the first straw of the season, the sheep will mash it down and they'll soil it, and go ahead and refresh it by adding another layer. You want clean, dry on top, freshen several times during the winter, and you're set. If you're expecting lambs, this is especially important. They need to be born on clean straw. Okay. For my dairy goats, they do better hanging out inside my barn in a common goat lounge area. I throw fresh hay outside for them every day to make them go outside and eat. But if the weather's really brutal, I do have indoor hay racks where I can let them eat indoors. And I certainly did that during this past storm. So goats are kind of prima donnas, but it's more than that. They're actually hot weather animals. So they kind of get a barn lounge area. I don't have a heat lamp out for them because they can kind of pile up and chill with each other. But still, uh, I have to you know, allow for that in my management plan. The barn is old, so it has sort of the sandy dirt floor. 
So in order to keep things from stinking and going bad, I put down stall mats on top of that. Then on top of that, I put a couple inches of compressed sawdust. They're like compressed. I think it's called pelleted pine horse bedding or pelleted horse bedding. It's made out of pine and it's compressed sawdust pellets. And um, when they get wet, they kind of expand. And it's it's great stuff. They come in these like 40 pound bags. They're easy to store. They're, they're awesome. And they expand to several times their own size. So they're awesome. Um, then on top of that pelleted bedding, I uh, put straw on top. Makes everything smell nice. It's great. The sawdust absorbs urine. Uh, manure for goats is pebbles and it travels through and gets worked down through the straw. The straw layer on top stays mostly dry and comfy for the goats. It's easy to rake back straw, remove soiled sawdust, replace with new pellets, maybe take out some straw if it's gotten wet and replace it easily. It's pretty easy. The poultry get straw inside their nighttime coop and continually refreshed inside nest boxes. Um, there's another option. It's called deep litter method. You can Google that deep litter method for poultry. And you just put down pine flake shavings. They sort of look like curly, like wood curling shavings. Um, to get the big flake, not the small flake. The small kind of compresses into sawdust and that can be a problem. Get the, get the big flake. You kind of want some air in there. And over the winter, it builds a deep pack through the winter. And you just add more and add more and it decays kind of gently and it starts to get off give off a little bit of heat and just clean it out in the spring and it works quite well and it's uh, put that in your compost and it's a nice base for compost so now let's mention hay um, and grain real quick um, for hay you want to make sure that all ruminants always have hay available sheep goats llamas cows all ruminants grain is either optional or less important but hay is really key good quality hay they need to have those internal furnaces going that's how ruminants work. And believe it or not, poultry does great with hay too. They love it and they enjoy the activity. So throw your poultry some hay during the winter. They're omnivores. They like their veggies. And I need to reiterate this. Hay must always be present for ruminants. And in my opinion, horses too. All right, this brings us to grain, also called feed. Uh, if you give grain or feed, like a, a prepared feed to your four-leggeds, you want to give it in the morning to keep them warm during cold nights. If you give poultry scratch or scratch grains they call it to keep them metabolically warm you give the scratch grains at night to keep them warm okay so poultry and ruminants if you're giving grain only once a day opposite times to give them grain don't forget i only feed grain to my sheep and goats in the morning my sheep don't get any grain at all unless it's winter time and they're halfway through their pregnancy or nursing lambs lambs don't get any grain at all okay so let's put this all together you figured out how to keep your water flowing by not freezing your hydrants in dumb ways like i did You've learned how to not fall on your butt on the ice because of dumb stuff that I did. Um, you have a good routine for feeding your animals. You know what to feed, to whom, and what time of the day. But how much hay should you expect to be feeding? Well, there's an app for that. Nah, I'm kidding. But there's a formula. And for ruminants, um, farmers calculate using the percent of the body weight for each animal every day. So each type of animal is a little bit different, but here's the calculations. I use for the hay season, that means that time of year when grass isn't growing enough for the animals to be grazing or it's covered by snow and ice, okay? So for hay season, depending on where you live, that could be 60 days, that could be 180 days, right? So non-grass growing season here in Ohio is about five months long. So for sheep, I use 3% body weight per day per sheep. Goats, 4%. Goats actively milking, 5 to 7%. So to kind of 
tie that together. If you have, if you have a hundred pound sheep, she will be eating three pounds of hay per day. So if you have 10 100 pound sheep, that's a thousand pounds of sheep. So that's going to be 30 pounds of hay per day. That's about a bale. All right. And that's about what I feed. I feed about a bale, which is, well, I've got 11 sheep and they're not a hundred pounds each. Well, you know what? Close enough. I feed about a bale of hay a day equivalent to um, my sheep and I feed a bale of hay per day um, to all of my goats and then my milker goats get extra hay. So yeah, that's about what it works out to. And I do have to calculate how many days, how many months without grass and forage um, my animals are going to need hay for. So here's a little plug. If you're totally new to livestock and any of this stuff worries you, you can reach out to me and I will help you through a few of these things. You may not know this, but hay is only available for a certain window of time. Hay farmers sell out. And with so much drought in the country now, hay moves around the country a lot. I mean, it gets shipped westward from the Midwest and even from the East Coast on some years. And if you don't have a hay source contracted and secured by August or maybe September or in your barn, actually, I have my hay in my barn end of August, first week of September. You might have a very hard time finding hay come February, March, and even April because that first hay cutting isn't until like May. So, you know, you, you might have a really hard time finding hay later on in the season, depending on where you live. Just because a farmer, your hay farmer down the street has hay available doesn't mean he's going to have it available for you through the whole winter in February, March, April. That's gone. That's gone. So hay is its own conversation and area of knowledge. And there's still a lot to learn about that. All right. So let's talk about cold stress in the animals themselves. It's a real thing. And over the winter, cold stress wears animals down. Um, they start to lose condition over the winter and they continue to lose condition into early spring. So you got to keep it up. You got to watch for if things start to slip at all. But it's really not the cold snaps that kill or make them sick. Usually it's the week afterwards when it warms up or a severe cold abates when we get a warm spell. These glorious midwinter breaks, as great as they are, and as precious as the time is for us as farmers to take advantage of these, pay attention to your animals. This is when they get sick, a week after the stress is passed. It's how warm-blooded bodies work. Just know it and work with it. So if you have a cold snap and you're giving a bit of extra grain or extra hay, or you're making sure that the animals have extra bedding or protection, whatever it is, keep it going for one week after that event. Warm spells are pneumonia time for sheep and goats. Not cold weather, warm weather. So you need to keep them dry and healthy. Watch for snotty noses, coughing, lethargy, fast breathing, or any other than usual behavior, even if it's mild, act. Other tips for healthy animals. Make sure they always have access to loose mineral salts, not blocks of salts, for the winter time. That's because a dehydrated animal becomes dehydrated because it doesn't have enough salt in its system. Animals don't eat salt like we do. We shake it onto our dinner. They don't have access to that. And so they can't retain the amount of water they need to properly regulate their body temperature if they're dehydrated. They can be sucking down water and be dehydrated if they don't have enough salt in their system. And they eat and use up a surprising amount of salt during the wintertime. So keep those water buckets full, clean, and scrubbed out. If you are even the least bit suspicious, it's okay to give B complex shots or special treats to keep sheep and goats, you know, a little extra vitamin oomph, I say. Um, I do carrots and apples for my goats. I do winter squash and pumpkins for my sheep. Um, 
My goats and sheep love to eat the Christmas tree when we're done. It's full of vitamin C. They love broccoli, wilted salad greens, tomatoes. Yeah, all kinds of things like that. So uh, now that you got all those basics down, let's, uh, I'm, I'm gonna tell you a quick story about what didn't happen this year for me in the deep freeze. No tractor problems, no hay emergencies, no water frozen, no animals failing health. Had all the grain we needed. Uh, equipment was ready to go. No power outages. No light failures. Everything was working as planned. I'm on my 10th winter now. I felt like I'd achieved experientially based resilience in the face of cold, cold weather. I was ready to go. No big deal. It was time for the super big, bad cold storm. I felt confident and ready. Yep. A little too confident, I think. Farm life. So here's the forecast for the storm night, just to set the stage. Clear still weather until sunset, then cold rain starting an hour after sunset, then a 40 degree temperature drop to freezing rain, then snow, and then starting a howling constant wind at 25 miles per hour with 45 mile per hour gusts, the wind starting in at 3 a.m. At the same time, this is a story on why wild girls get boys into trouble despite our best efforts at having everything nailed down and ready to go. Yeah, folks, animals will be animals and they will always be your biggest X factor. So I've got two peacocks. Well, they're pea fowl, technically. Their sole purpose in life is to walk around and be beautiful and make me happy. They were given to me as a 50th birthday present by my kids. I absolutely adore them, but especially the male, Mudra. His mate, her name is Opal. She's a peahen. Mudra is the traditional blue teal color peacock and opal is all white. Okay, I wasn't worried about the peacocks because they roost up in the rafters of our tractor shed. It's protected from the weather and wind. They're 15 feet up in the air. They're up there at night. It's perfect. They're unreachable by ground predators. So imagine my shock when that night when this horrible storm is supposed to come in, I notice right at nightfall, bup, 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 Opal opted to fly up into a treetop that night. That girl, she is a rule breaker. She's half wild. And to my horror, my good, responsible rule follower, Mudra, followed. Mm, boys, of course, it's the night when all that hell is supposed to arrive in a crappy old man winter sandwich during the dark. Quick sidebar. Decades ago, there used to be wild quail in our area, but a storm exactly like this here in Ohio, was an extinction-level event for them. And now there's no more quail in central Ohio because of a storm just like this. But the peacocks were up in the tree, far above me. There's nothing I can do about it except just make faces and go to sleep with an eyebrow mountain on my face and just hope for the best. Just hope. This was terrible weather for birds, and I knew it. Well, I woke up at 4 a.m. from a deep sleep, instantly awake and positive that my boy Mudra needed me. I know this sounds weird, but it was like a telepathic message, like he was calling. I leaped out of bed, peered out the window, and saw fresh tracks in the snow under my window. I went out and found him icy, snowy, and huddled against the house. Miserable. He never does this. He stood up when I approached. He doesn't normally let me get closer than about three feet away from him. And I tried to coax him around the house and trying to herd him into the mud porch where he would be, you know, safe for the, for the night. But nope, he wasn't having any part of it. He wouldn't walk. He just stood and looked at me nervously. So I slowly reached out and touched him lightly to give him moving. 
Instead, he panicked and flew off into the dark, tumbling around in the wind, and I lost sight of him in the storm. Basically, that's death for a bird. They can't see in the dark. So I was super worried now. I ran inside, woke up my son within five minutes. We were outside searching in the 45 mile per hour wind and snow. It was negative 26 wind chill at that point. And oh my goodness, we actually found him after 20 minutes of searching. The snow was coming down hard and drifting fast. He was almost completely covered five more minutes and we wouldn't have found him at all. So we stuffed him into a dog crate and we put him in the basement to warm up. Then we went back outside to search for his mate, Opal. I hadn't even seen her that night. So we're out in blinding snow, looking for a white peacock. I mean, come on. After 40 minutes, we just couldn't search anymore. Our, our hands and faces weren't working. So we paused the rescue ops. Sunrise, nope. Late morning, nope. Starting to lose hope. And at noon, oh my goodness, finally we found her on her side under a snowdrift, jammed up against a fence. She was barely conscious. And she couldn't stand. Her beak was iced shut. So we put her under a heat lamp in the house. And as of the next day, she was finally back up to normal temp. It took five days, but finally she started to limp around. That's a long recovery. The weather broke and I let the peacocks back out free. Opal's not fully recovered, but she couldn't stay inside. She's an outdoor big bird. So is Mudra. And she was ready to try living outside again, free like always. So we got another week of warm weather. Uh, fingers crossed. I hope all is okay. Um, this midwinter weather break is going to continue for the next several days. It's okay. I'll take it. And full advantage of it like all good farmers do. Meanwhile, I'm watching all my animals closely, looking for stress, just like I said, and keeping notes. So keep on keeping, folks. It's all an adventure. You can only do what you can do. But when you stay in tune with your animals, you'll have a lot better chance of saving them if there is a problem. And remember, prepare your facilities and your home and your barn and your infrastructure and your medicine cabin and everything the best that you can. As for the X factor of animals, here's how to mitigate that risk. Spend time with them and get to know them. Yeah, I know, telepathy helps. To develop that, you're going to need to learn what's normal and what isn't by spending time with them and forming that bond. Uh, that way, when you see any unusual activity or behavior, and maybe you take that animal's temperature, you listen to its lungs, you check for snots or labored breathing or any problems, isolate that animal and you treat aggressively. Do not delay or doubt yourself. These animals can and will go downhill fast. Sometimes by the time the vet is there, it's too late or the vet's busy with other sick animals. You just don't know. And pneumonia is a killer. A pregnant animal with pneumonia is a catastrophe waiting to happen. Trust your instincts and have the gear you need to handle a problem. If you're not sure what to have on hand, check out my website where I have a document, 34 things to have in your medicine chest for sheep, goats, and llama. And you can get it free if you sign up for my monthly newsletter. It's a nice list of what to have, what it's called, where to get it, what it does, how to administer it, and how to store it. It's the list of things that I wish that I'd had back when I started farming. So I've put it all together just for you, and it's available on my website, www.fairhillfarm.blog. Okay, as always, drop me a line. If you have any questions about anything I discussed here or other stuff, I love to hear from you all. Eat what you grow, bloom in your community, enjoy an abundant, resilient, rooted life. Stay warm, and I'll see you in the field. Happy New Year to all.